You're listening to the Conversations with Kids Peace podcast. Advice, information, and inspiration from experts at the leading provider of mental and behavioral health services for children, adults, and those who love them. Now, here's your host. Hello, and welcome to our podcast series, Conversations with Kids Peace. I'm Bob Martin. This is our second episode marking foster care month in May, but it's the first time we've taken the podcast on location. We're at the Kids Peace Foster Care offices in Doylestown, Pennsylvania, to talk about one of the most heartbreaking and least understood aspects of the nationwide epidemic of opioid addiction, caring for infants born to mothers who used opioids during their pregnancy. The staff and foster parents here in the Doylestown office are tackling this problem with new trainings and information sharing. And to discuss that today, we're joined by Megan Craig, a foster parent here in the Bucks County area, and Heather Moore, Pennsylvania Eastern Regional Manager for Kids Peace Foster Care and Community Programs. Thanks to both of you for being with us today. Well, thanks for having us. Megan, let me start with you. First off, a little bit of background. How did you and your husband decide to become foster parents? You know, ultimately, my husband and I felt really compelled to just help children. Uh, I'm a former elementary uh, school teacher, and I had students in my classroom who were in foster care. And I just really remember sitting down and quizzing uh, her foster mom one day, just kind of the last few years before I left for my maternity leave. So foster care was always on our radar. And then just one day, we decided to go for it um, as a family. We contacted Kids Peace, and then of course, leaving out a ton of details, the rest is history. Um, we have two young biological daughters, so all four of us have actually said at some point in our journey that doing foster care was actually the best decision that each of us have made as a family. Certainly well, not the easiest, but <laughs> <laughs> was the most impactful. Well, I think everybody uh, really admires people who take on the challenge of foster parenting. And um, now, Specifically, though, how did you become involved with fostering opioid-impacted infants, babies? Well, you know, we just sort of fell into that. Um, I guess we just chose to do foster care to help children. Uh, You know, they are in situations that are beyond their control, and we wanted to be somebody that could help them for the short time. But I guess we never really realized what those situations were. Uh, And actually, every single call that we have received has been a child or an infant that has been touched somehow by drug addiction. So we were very naive to the fact uh, of how prevalent drug addiction is and specifically in just our backyard. Well, certainly um, we're finding out that foster care is one of those, I guess the cliche is canaries in the coal mine that people are becoming, have become uh, cognizant of what's happening with the opioid epidemic in part because you see the the initial sort of impact is coming to public eye through things like foster care and the challenges of foster parents are uh, are dealing with can you give us an insight into when you're talking about a child who's been touched by addiction what are the first few days of caring for them like for for your family well the first few days are a little hectic it's a lot of trial and error Uh, We basically try to clear our schedule as much best we can for the first 24 to 48 hours, which is sometimes hard because you get a call in the middle of the night and you may have something planned for the next day. But it's exciting and it's new, um, but it's also a little scary, full of a lot of unknowns. 
I actually typically don't even sleep at all the first night. Just so many new things, new sounds. You know, are they are they snoring? Is that normal or is that, you know, is that a problem? So that's, we best um, just try to, you know, figure out all of the issues up front. Um, for infants, it's a lot of trying to find their routine. So I do a lot of documenting of how much they eat, how often they eat, uh, when they sleep, where they like to sleep, how they like to sleep. You know, some some infants really need to be swaddled really tight. Some don't like to be swaddled at all. Some like to be half swaddled. Um, some like a crib. Some are used to sleeping in a swing or a pack and play or rock and play or whatever. Uh, lights on, lights off. I mean, it's really, truly just, just trying to figure it all out. Um, and then, you know, once you get to the basics of that, we also have the concerns that haven't been disclosed to us or haven't yet been identified. Um, so we try as early as possible to see a doctor. Um, we try to, you know, document everything. Uh, one little child had a lot of um, weird ticks with her hands when she would, you know, reach out. So we would document anything that just seemed mildly unusual. Um, you know, it's actually very shocking to us uh, as experienced parents of two children, but it's very shocking to us how busy bringing home a new infant uh, into our home from childcare actually is compared to bringing, you know, a newborn home as new parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, just so many things that have to be figured out and moderately quickly that, you know, we didn't necessarily have with our own biological newborn. We knew everything with our newborn and we don't know ever, anything with the children we get oftentimes. It, it must have been very frustrating, that lack of information for you uh, looking at that. It's, I, I can hear that in your voice. It's like the, it must have been just um, that uncertainty was was disconcerting. Absolutely. I, I mean, it, But I think it's par for the course with foster care. You know, foster parents, <laughs> sometimes we say we're glorified babysitters. You know, we aren't really privy to a lot of details, uh, especially of the biological parents, and and rightly so. I mean, we we need to respect their privacy as well. But we are caring for these infants, and you know, some of the information actually could be very helpful to us. Um, you know, what was the pregnancy like? What was the delivery like? Things like that for us, since we're specifically caring for infants, we often don't know. Certainly, don't know right away. Maybe as time goes on. Um, you know, I think honestly, though, one of the biggest frustrations is not necessarily um, a lack of resources because we have great, we've developed, my family and I've developed, you know, through the years with placements and our own children. We have a great list of physical therapists and, you know, occupational therapists and specialists. And we have resources like Heather at, at Kids Peace and, and other, you know, our caseworkers. You know, we have people now. It's more of like, we just don't know what to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, not being touched by addiction personally in my family. Um, you know, I don't know what to look for oftentimes, you know, certainly learn with each case and, and talking to people, but, um, you know, just sort of the unknown and not knowing what, what right. to look for is it, frustrating. And you mentioned there, can you give me an example of something that you may have learned by comparing notes with other foster parents trying to get through this fog and through this sort of void of information? Sure. I actually love meeting other foster parents. I find them just so inspiring and just a complete wealth of information. There are absolutely no two cases that are alike. Um, But it's just so neat to talk to another foster parent, new or experienced, because everybody has their own 
information to share. And then I can, you know, sort of put it in my library and, and pull it when I need to. Simple things from, you know, how did you uh, discipline a child that, you know, has rad or something like that, all the way to, you know, what'd you get the biological parents for Christmas? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I have a perfect example, though, of um, a ki- another couple here at Kids Peace. We were connected through the director when I wanted to find more information out. And I had called her and she invited my family over for dinner, which was really nice before we had signed up for foster care. And she was so great. She reminded us that, uh, you know, we are foster parents. We are just a temporary stop for these children. And um, despite that need and downright complete unavoidable outcome of getting attached to a child, it is our job to support the biological family. And, you know, this changed us. That piece of advice completely changed us from the very beginning. And I am absolutely completely grateful for Kids Peace connecting us and for her sharing that honesty with us because you do get attached immediately. You fall in love and you absolutely should because the kids need that. But, you know, the flip side of that is is their family needs it. And oftentimes the agency and the foster family are the only positive influences that that biological family has. And so for foster care to be successful, you know, you need to remember that relationship. You know, it's funny when we talk to foster parents, they say that all the time is like, you know, you you have to be prepared for that separation and you have to be prepared that it's it's that's how you know that things have worked because you've had that on that same sort of note uh, can you give me any, some some thoughts about how the children that you've cared for how you feel that they've benefited through your their time in foster care with you, you you've mentioned that in some cases the, there might be the only positive experience the only positive influence that they've had and i'm just wondering if there's some you know specifics as to where you think they've benefited well i'd like to say that each child that we've cared for whether it be for a weekend or for a year i hope that we can say that they've benefited from stability and kind of a sense of normalcy during really a very unstable time back at home some of our placements we've actually had larger life benefits if you will you know we've gotten some intense medical care or we've provided we've you know reached out to early intervention and gotten them some services there Um, and then ultimately i think you know the children have just been loved in a tough time my daughters are exceptional big foster sisters and they bring a lot of fun and laughter to these kids which you know gives these these kids a chance to just be kids Uh, oftentimes you know in their home environment they don't always feel just the stress-freeness of being a kid. So it's obvious, you know, when bonds have been formed in such a short amount of time, and it's obvious that it's very mutual for everybody. Looking ahead, what's your biggest fear for children who are touched by addiction as, as they go forward? What, from your perspective, what, what, do you, what are uh, you most afraid of? Yeah, that's a really tough question, actually. I know all parents have fears. I think that my fears for my biological children are a lot more innocent, though, by comparison. So I guess that for all of our past and future foster kids, I think that my biggest fear might be safety, that a relapse doesn't occur with that child around or an intentional neglect of that child. But of course, as the, our infants get older, uh, you know, my fears might change for them. Like, I hope that they know that they're loved and that they're valued. Um, you know, I wish that they could grow up in a stable home, things like that, that it's fearful for me. But it's also really hard to dwell on those fears, quite honestly. I, 
being in foster care, it's just so unpredictable and addiction is just so difficult to overcome. I don't know, I think as a foster parent, you really need to try to focus on what we can do and then just keep our door open in case we're needed again. Oh, we really appreciate that. Heather, let me turn to you. We talk about this issue of the children who are born impacted by opioid use by their mother. How, first of all, can you give us a, a sense of how prevalent that, that problem is? And I would say in the last two years, it's become huge. I mean, we're getting two kids in the next two weeks um, who are touched by addiction. Very rarely now do we get a kid that hasn't been touched by addiction. I think the addiction is so prevalent everywhere and it's touching every socioeconomic background that it's just impacting the foster care system in a way that we weren't prepared for. Um, The other piece to it is that the kids are coming with a lot of needs that we're just not aware of. Like Megan said, we get a referral and we get information that the county knows, but I've always said these kids are like unraveling onions. And every time the foster parent goes to a doctor's appointment, there's a new medical issue that comes up or there's a new delay that's that's seen. And it takes us a good year to get all those needs attended to because they're just not seen at birth. Now, you've obviously, from your answer there, you, you, you it's, it's clear that you've had a lot of... Um, chance to look into these things and done a lot of research you are preparing to conduct training on this subject for foster parents and for healthcare workers so first let's let's make sure to share the information about the sessions that are coming up sure we're having um, two sessions um, one is june 12th and one is june 19th they're being held at the um, bucks county audubon society in new hope pennsylvania um We're delving into a couple of different topics in regards to that training. We're talking about, you know, what's involved in opioid addiction and how can we identify the risk factors. There's not a lot known about from the common public about addiction. So understanding that piece of it is key to start with. Um, And then how are babies assessed for neonatal abstinence syndrome and what will foster parents see so that they're prepared for that. And like Megan said, can kind of know what to track and know what to look for. Um, and then finding out what techniques foster parents have found useful and insights of, from the research that we've done as to what's out there and what's known about neonatal absence syndrome and the best treatment for the children. Overall, what are you hoping to accomplish with this effort? I'm really hoping to make it something that is more well-known. And I think a lot of the legislation and a lot of the you know, dollars are being put towards addiction, which is really important. But I think the kids that are impacted aren't as well focused and aren't on the forefront of everyone's mind Um, and hoping to start educating people and making it a conversation so that people are starting to focus on the the innocent victims to this, you know, addiction. Um, How are you approaching putting this training together, gathering all that information? It's interesting, when we applied for the grant, I thought, oh, we'll just gather all the relevant research and it'll be really easy to put together a training. And what we learned is there's not a lot of research out there that um, we really had to go back and there's a lot of old research that we use, but there's not a lot of relevant research. There's also not a lot of information about appropriate treatment. Um, So the kids are really experiencing withdrawal when they come out of the hospital. So they're experiencing the same withdrawal that an adult would experience. So they have a lot of the same symptoms, but they're not recognized as that by doctors yet because doctors aren't prepared for that piece of it. So really just educating 
Um, we interviewed professionals who are working with this population. I got a lot of really good anecdotal information of things that have been helpful. Um, and we also interviewed foster parents to see what their experience is. But there's not a lot out there. And I think there needs to be a lot more research done because this is a huge population that is going to get older and, and need a lot of support. Has there been anything that you've come across in the research that you would say like really surprised you? I think just there's not a lot known that, you know, we don't know what the long term impact is going to be. We don't know what we need to be prepared for. Um, So when, you know, the kids are born, we can address the medical pieces, but we don't know what the long term impact has been. Um, What we've seen anecdotally is with really good treatment and really early treatment, the kids are thriving. And a lot of the issues they come into care with are resolved within the first year. Um, So that is really hopeful and hoping to get that across in our training to really be the one that documents things, taking it to the doctor, because the earlier the treatment, the, the better off the child is in the long run. That's a little bit of a bright spot. It is definitely a bright spot. Um, And we want to mention that uh, information about the trainings will be on our website, fostercare.com, on the Doylestown, Pennsylvania page. And you'll have uh, information um, about what what we're going to cover, as Heather has just said, as well as a link to register. The uh, trainings are free, but advanced registration is required. So you can go on our website and uh, and check that out. now, talking just a little bit in a broader term, uh, as you're dealing with folks who are thinking about becoming foster parents, are they aware of the impact that you've mentioned about the opioid epidemic uh, when it comes to foster care? You know, I really don't think so. I don't think it's hit mainstream America well enough yet. It was interesting. Megan and I had a conversation, and I have two adopted sons who are 19 and 18, both impacted by opioids. And she had mentioned, you know, as a symptom that one of her foster children was experiencing. And I was like, oh, my my son has the same issue. It's from the opioid exposure and not having that realization that that could have been a connection. And what simply looks like a medical issue is really something coming from that exposure. So I think foster parents don't have that experience of what is impacting of the of the addiction as well as what the biological parents are going through as far as dealing with their addiction and what their challenges are as well. What do you think the long-term effect of the situation we have in opioids now will be on foster care in general? I'm hoping that foster care can be the safe haven for these kids so that they can get the medical treatment that they need. They can get the support that they need. We can also support their biological parents um, and that, you know, if possible, they can return home. Um, and if not, then we can find, um, you know, foster families that will commit long term to whatever needs the child experiences throughout their lifetime. Well, again, we really want to thank both of you for being here. Um, on our podcast, we end each of our interviews by asking our guest for a life hack. This can be um, just a piece of advice or a tip on how to do some task better or maybe the, the little bit of inspiration that helps you just get through the day. So, Heather, let me, let me ask you, what's your best life hack? I think the thing I've learned most, and I actually had a, a colleague email me this morning struggling with her son, her adopted son, who was also touched by addiction, is look for support wherever you can. Um, it can be, you know, another foster family. It can be your child's teacher. 
who deals with them every day. It can be the aide in the classroom. It can be someone from church. You know, really looking at the whole, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and looking at what your village is because I think people would be surprised at who's going to be there for you and who can support your child with you um, in the long term. It's one of those situations where you might feel you're alone and you're facing something no one else has faced. Just the knowledge that you've got somebody who, uh, who's got your back can, be, can go a long way. Exactly. And I think we don't reach out enough to, to people. And as soon as you start reaching out, people are that right there with you. And I've had a lot of people walk this journey with me. And that's why I came to Kids Peace was to help our foster parents through their journeys. Megan, to you, what's, what's your best life hack? Oh, boy. All right. Well, so, you know, foster care and life can be full of a lot of anxiety or difficult situations. So I find myself, um, you know, sitting in the dentist chair or applying for a job or anticipating a court date or something. I find myself saying, you know, in the next hour or this time next week or next year, it's not this is going to be different or I'm going to know the outcome. And, and it just helps me to, you know, project what's going to happen and how there's going to be a bright, excuse me, a bright side someday. Also, my second. Oh, you're going to have two for us. I got two for you. This one might be even more practical. If you're eating a cupcake, take the bottom part of the cupcake off, put it on top so you have the icing in the middle like a sandwich, and you get icing on both sides of the cupcake. There you go. There you go. Megan Craig is a foster parent working with the Kids Peace Foster Care Office here in Doylestown. Heather Moore is Pennsylvania Eastern Regional Manager for Kids Peace Foster Care and Community Programs. Again, thank you both for sharing and joining us today. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us and listening. We look forward to having you join us again for more conversations with Kids Peace. Take care. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions about our Conversations podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Go to www.kidspeace.org to learn more about the series and share your thoughts.